Our passage this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Josh Heaven. I am the executive pastor here at Grace. And normally, uh, at Grace anyway, when we start, uh, there is some introduction before we pray and then we really get going. But this morning, given the, uh, the video that we just watched, um, I thought it would be good to start with prayer, especially uh, for those of you who may have heard, because a group of missionaries from Ohio to Haiti was abducted over the weekend. And so about 17 people, including some children, were kidnapped and as of this morning, at least, authorities don't know what happened to those folks. So I want to pray for those missionaries in Haiti. I want to pray for Haiti. Um, and also want to pray for Pastor Brooks, uh, who is continuing to improve, getting better, um, but still struggling with some pain this morning. Uh, he will be sending out, or we will be sending out for him, an update that he has written. So you'll get to see that, uh, some update in his own words about what this experience has been like for him. So look for that this week. But join me in prayer as we get started. Holy God, we lift up to you those families uh, of the missionaries in Haiti that have gone missing, that have been kidnapped, and we pray for their health and their safety and for their protection and their ability, Lord, to continue to share the gospel, even with their kidnappers. We pray, Lord, for the families of those, uh, those folks who are here in the United States who are longing for information. Help them to know how to pray and to wait on you. And Lord, we pray for the island of Haiti and for all of the, the need that is there and the spiritual heartache and the physical uh, just disparity, Lord, we pray for help for Haiti, for hope for them that the gospel would reach there. And God, we lift up to you, uh, Pastor Brooks and his wife Stacy, and their ongoing struggle with health, and Brooks especially with his back right now. Give him relief, Lord, from that pain. Um, restore him here. He longs to be here. He wants to share the word with these people, and we pray that you would honor that desire and bring him back soon. We ask it, Holy Spirit, that you would do this by your power, and Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. This morning we are talking about death and we are talking about life and the truth about death and the truth about life and how the truth about death and the truth about life can help us to face a specific question about death. Uh, before we get there though, I want to ask you a couple of questions. This one, just shout out the answer if you know it, from Psalm 90, Moses says man's strength is for how many years? Who knows? It's not a trick question. It's in Psalm 90. If you have Bibles, you could open them up. 70 years or 80 by reason of strength. 70 to 80 years. In Moses' time, still about 70 to 80 years today, right? United States, the uh, average lifespan is right around 75, 77 years old. 
So that hasn't changed a whole lot, but a lot can change in 80 years. 80 years ago, 1941, anything significant going on in the United States? Attack on Pearl Harbor, World War II, fairly significant. What about 80 years before that, 1861? Anything significant happening? Civil War, pretty big deal, right? Few people were affected by it. What about 1781? Anything happened in 1781? 80 years before that? American Revolution, you guys have heard of it? Not, not really. No, it's early. Give us a break, Josh. I will say, in your defense, it only took you about three songs to fill up. It took eight o'clock, about four songs to fill up this morning. Now, they did get here at eight o'clock, but a lot can happen in 80 years, right? A lot can happen in 240 years. How many of those folks that lived over that 240 years from 1781 to today do you know the names of? Not many. Handful. Handful have statues around the world in Washington, D.C. Handful we know the names of. What about people closer? Let's go closer. Uh, in 1925, a guy named Walter died. And this guy named Walter, even though he's dead, he continues to have a significant impact on our city specifically, on lots of cities around this country, but our city specifically. This guy, Walter, who died in 1925, he's the reason that I broke my knuckle in college playing with some friends and had to have two pins put in my finger. This guy, Walter. He died in 1925. I wasn't in college in 1925. Uh, this guy, Walter, is the reason why Iowa City doubles in size about half a dozen times a year. Anybody know who Walter is? Walter Camp, father of American football. He's dead. You don't know who he is, but you do know what he did. So that can happen, right? We can die and still our invention, our contribution can live after us. What about a guy named Willis who died? Uh, let's see here. When did Willis die? He didn't die until 1950, so he had a few more years to know Willis. Anybody know who Willis is? He also changed our lives, perhaps more people's lives than Walter Camp did. Willis Carrier invented electrical air conditioning. Anybody glad for Willis Carrier? <laughs> Anybody tried to live in Missouri or Mississippi? Really glad for Willis Carrier? Willis Carrier's dead. We don't talk about him. But his invention lasts. That can happen, right? That can happen where our contributions can outlast us. But we still die, and they still die. Even the things that we have made, things that have been made and known for many generations have disappeared. The people that have come before us have disappeared. I'm going to tell you about one more person. Uh, Stephanie Kolek, who just died in 2014. Anybody know who Stephanie Kolek was? 2014, not that long ago. She died... She invented Kevlar. Pretty significant. Saves lives. Football is great. Air conditioning is great. Kevlar actually saves lives. But the contribution, even though maybe it's more significant, still doesn't mean that we remember her. And Kevlar is being replaced. It's kind of an old technology. So even though these people lived and made significant contributions, they died, and their contributions are dying. They're gone, they came from dust, and to dust they're returning, and we have to grapple with this. So here is the next question in our Searching for Answers series. How do I confront death? Now this series has been designed with people uh, bringing folks in. We wanted you to be able to reach out to people that you know who may not know Jesus, who may have questions like these, and bring them in, but maybe you still have questions like these, so that's fine too. You can ask these questions and find answers here, we hope. <clears throat> pardon me, in the person of Jesus. So this is an important question because we all die. All of us will die and all of our contributions will die and will erode. So when we have 
to grapple this, what do we do? Well, I, I'm going to propose today that we grapple with it by looking at the truth about death and the truth about life, both. Okay, and then we're going to get to the question that Jesus asks uh, Martha. Because if we know the truth about life, it is possible to not die. I want to tell you about one more person. Um, one more person who is not yet dead. She was born in 1954 near South Bend, Indiana, and she grew up and she went to college and she met a boy. They got married and then she gave birth to a son. And about 40 years ago, she sat down at breakfast with his son. And not for the first time, and it won't be the last, but on that day, she told me, this is my mother, about Jesus. And it was a fortuitous day. It was a, a special day in my recollection. I remember sitting down and eating a bowl of cereal and my mom said, you look hungry. Would you like another bowl of cereal? And I said, yes. And I took on that second bowl of cereal and I ate it all, right? It was significant because I was a little boy and that was a big deal that I could do that. And she talked to me about Jesus and she said, I'm going to live forever. Do you want to too? And I said, yes. And that's when I started to live. Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? And he's asking her, do you believe that even though your body will die, your soul can live forever? And that's a pretty important question. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. Um, I am going to say to you up front, here's your fair warning. I'm going to use the Bible today. I encourage you to all have one. If you don't have one, uh, there are things called smartphones. Have you heard of these? Recent invention, believe it or not. Right? And you can find a Bible there uh, at our app or online. Let's go through the Bible today to answer this question. What do we believe? What's the truth about death? Well, death is inevitable. It says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Everyone. It says this in actually a number of places in Scripture, that no one is righteous, not one. Right? All we together like sheep have gone astray. All of us are sinners. I said a couple of weeks ago that evil was the rejection of God because God is goodness. Well, death is the rejection of God as well, right? Because God is life. And so when we reject life, we should expect death. And that's what Romans tells us in 3.23 and then in 6.23, where it says, for the wages of or the payment for sin is death. So that's the truth about death. It is inevitable. It is coming. It is going to happen. Everybody and everything dies. And here's what I mean by that. Our bodies, for sure, are going to die. Uh, Genesis 3.19, if you, if you turn there, you will see uh, God talking to Adam and Eve after they have chosen to sin. And he says, I made you out of dust, and you're going to go back to dust. Ecclesiastes, it says this, the same thing, the same repetition. From dust you came and to dust you return. It also says in Ecclesiastes, naked you came into the world and naked you go out of it. You can't take anything with you. Our relationships also, uh, if you happen to have your Bible and you want to turn there with me, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 6 here. And it's going to talk about our relationships and how those can die. It's kind of a strange thing to think about your relationships dying, perhaps. Uh, but if you've ever been in a marriage that has failed, or if you've ever had a friend that just stops being your friend, you know what it's like to have a relationship die. And this is going to happen to all of our relationships, either through sin in our lives and their lives, or through our natural life. But here's what it says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 20. It says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, which means you didn't have to be righteous. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. If we don't have Christ, for sure, all of our relationships, all of our creations even, will end in death. I'm going to turn over there too to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We're going to come back to Ephesians later as well, but listen to what this says. It's very similar to Romans. 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Even our good things, even the things that we want to contribute to this world as good things, are corrupted by the sin in this world and will break down and destroy. You say, well, yeah, but wait a minute. Didn't you just tell us that Walter Camp died in 1925 and he is still routinely bringing 70,000 people to Iowa City? It's true. I'm going to ask you this, though. How many of you have been bowling recently? Anybody? Anybody go bowling recently? We've got one. We've got one, two. How about roller skating? Roller skating recently? Anybody? Not on the driveway. I'm talking about it actually at a roller rink. Anybody remember what it's like to feel the thrill of couple skate and have a couple, right, that you're going to be a part of and skate together? <laughs> yeah. Where are the roller rinks? They're gone, right? The bowling alleys are largely gone. They were very popular. It was a very important part of everyday American life. And now they're gone. Football could easily go the same way, believe it or not. Air conditioning, though, right? Air conditioning? We're not going to get rid of air conditioning. Well, we weren't going to get rid of fireplaces either until something better came along. Everything dies. Everything has its own uh, date with corruption and with destruction, and that's going to happen to our bodies, uh, to our relationships, to our creations. And if you feel invincible now, let me just tell you that that finger I broke playing football in college, that was flag football. It does not take much. My son, who was just two years old at the time, uh, crawled up on my chest. I was laying down on the ground, just playing with him on the ground, right? Crawls up on my chest, looks at me, big smile on his face. Bam! Head on my nose, crack! Breaks my nose with his forehead. We're dust. We're fragile. Right? It doesn't take much. Our bodies are dying, our relationships are dying, our creations are dying. This is happening. It's inevitable. I want to read this story now, and I've got it up here, so even if you happen to not have a Bible, you can read along with me. But I want to, read the, I want to give you the context for what's going on. Um, when we had Linda up here and she read this passage of Scripture, that's part of what's going on, but I want to give you the fuller context because what we're going to see here in this chapter of John, chapter 11, is that there are ways in which we are trying to avoid death, even though it's inevitable. A couple of different ways, and I want to point them out to you. So, uh, this is a time... What's it say there? At this time, sorry. At this time, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And we're talking about the Mary um, who would anoint the Lord with perfume and wipe his feet with her hair. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick, they said. And when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness will not end in death. Remember that. The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so on hearing that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days and said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Rabbi, they replied, the Jews just tried to stone you. You want to go back there? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? If anyone walks in the daytime, he will not stumble because he sees by the light of the world. But if anyone walks at night, he will stumble because he has no light. When he said this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And then his disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. And they thought that Jesus was talking about actual sleep, but he was speaking about the death of Lazarus. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
For your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but now let's go to him. Thomas called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, well, let us go also, so that we may die with him. He's being sarcastic. Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus, had already spent four days in the tomb. And now Bethany was near Jerusalem, a little less than two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them in the loss of their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha replied, I know that he will. He'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she answered. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside to her. And the teacher is here, she said. He's asking for you. And when Mary heard that, she got up quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still the place where Martha had met him. And so when the Jews uh, were in the house consoling Mary, saw she quickly got up. They went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, just like her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they answered. And so Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them asked, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept Lazarus from dying? So that's a larger context. That's what's going on right now in John. John is uh, talking about Jesus' preparation for his own death. And this it, it forms an important part of that story. And in this, we see how we confront death a couple of different ways. One is, uh, we see that there is this desire to avoid death through pride, and that's John 11.8. John 11.8 is where we get this sort of offhand reference that the Jews were trying to kill Jesus. And we don't actually, I didn't read this part to you, but later in the chapter, in verses 47 through 53, we see the interaction between the Pharisees and Sadducees where they come together and they say, yeah, we should try and kill Jesus because we don't like what he's doing, especially after Lazarus is raised from the dead. And why don't they like it? Because they have their own system for avoiding death. And their, their system involves keeping the law. Their system involves righteousness that they can control. And this is a way that people try to avoid death. This is a way that people try to ignore death's inevitability. They say, if I can just keep the law, then I won't have to worry about death. If I can just do the right things, I don't have to worry about dying because I'll be good. God will look on me and be pleased. And this happens today. So it happened with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're trying to avoid death this way. But it also happens with us. We do it in churches. We do it with our children. We do it all the time. Just obey the right rules and you'll be fine. But we can't avoid death that way. It is still inevitable. It's also true that we just try to run from it in our fear. You guys remember I pointed out Thomas had this sort of sarcastic comment, right? Let's, let's go with Jesus. Let's just die with Jesus. Great, Jesus. Great idea. Let's go get stoned together with rocks, not with alcohol, right? Let's go get killed by stones. He doesn't want to die, right? He's afraid. What do people do when they're afraid? All kinds of things. They try to hide. They try to run. We do this all the time. This is not uncommon. Um, Everybody, to some degree, is fearful of death, and for good reason, right? Because it's scary. We don't understand it. Some people pretend they won't die. Some people become nihilists, and they just... uh, they just say it's not meaningful. There's nothing that's meaningful. It's just meaninglessness. And they just try to live in that space. 
And then there are people who actually go so far as to seek oblivion in one way or another. And they try to look for a chance to just escape reality. And it's out of fear, right? It's because they know what's coming and they want to avoid it. This last way that people try to avoid the truth about death and its inevitability might be a little uh, difficult. So let me explain. When I say through selfishness, um, and I cite John eleven twenty one and 32, these are the verses where Mary and Martha both say, Lord, if you had been here, right? If you had been here, then he would not have died. I'm not saying that they were sinning in that moment, but I am saying that they don't want death and they don't want it more than they do want the will of the Father. Now, Martha does say, Lord, I still believe that you could heal him even now, even though he has died, I still believe. So she still has faith. But we do struggle with this. We struggle in our selfishness. We want everybody to be healed now. We want to avoid death now. We want to have life now. Obviously, for good reason. Nobody wants to die but it does get in the way. And we do begin to ignore death and say, God, if you would just give me the healing for right now, I can just push it off longer. And it's a way to deal with the inevitability of death is to just keep ignoring it, keep hoping that we get healing now instead of the healing that God wants us to have. Because here's what he says. This is Matthew 10:28. I don't have the reference up there, but uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn to Matthew 10:28 real quick. I'm going to read a few verses, um, 10, 28 through 33. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. Do not fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. He says, death is inevitable, but only for your bodies and over, only for this world. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Even the numbers of the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. What is he saying here? He's saying, don't be selfish for this life. He says, don't be fearful of death. He says, definitely do not try to keep the law, but rather trust in me, because here's the thing. Death is inevitable, and Jesus Christ is invincible. Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. What does he mean by that? He means that he will keep his word. Just like he said, you have to die because sin came into the world. He says, also, you must live if you believe in me. I will recognize you before my father if you acknowledge my name. So resurrection has to happen. Um, he enables our resurrection by defeating death in 1 Timothy and also in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. I'm just going to go to the Ephesians passage, but in 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus has conquered death. And likewise, in Ephesians 2. Let's go there a minute. Ephesians 2 is the continuation of what I read earlier, um, where I said we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But this is how that passage goes on. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up to, uh, with him and seated up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is an, an invincible God, and he has enabled our resurrection by defeating death, and he has secured our reconciliation through his sacrifice. All of us belong on land, right? That's obvious. Now imagine you're drowning out in the middle of the ocean, and a ship comes by and it saves you, 
right? Pulls you up out of the water and puts you on the boat, but it never reconciles you to land. That wouldn't be complete, right? That would not be a complete whole restoration. But Jesus does that. He saves us and also reconciles us. In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to God the Father all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. So not only does he defeat death, but then he reconciles us to himself, makes it so that we're in right relationship with him again. The reason that we had to die in the first place, because we were in wrong relationship. And then he prepares our eternal home. Uh, John 14, 3, he says, If I go prepare a place for you, I'll come back again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I'm going to go back to Romans here and read this passage, because this is also what it means for Christ to be invincible. In Romans 6, um, we read about, uh, in Romans 3 and Romans 6, we read about the reason we have to die. But now in Romans 5, listen to what it says, starting in verse, uh, Romans 6, what it says in verse 5. It says, Uh, I'm sorry, that was chapter 5. Here we go. For if we have been united with him in death, like his, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection, like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the truth about life. If you have died to sin, then you are already alive. When I was just a little boy and my mom said, do you want to live forever? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Confess your sins and trust that he is who he says he is and does what he says he does and you can live with him forever. That's it. No works. You don't have to do anything. Just believe. Confess your sins and believe. And I did, and I do, and now I'm alive. And you are too, if you've believed in him. And that's it. You're alive. So you are going to die, Jesus said. Right? Uh, this is from John 11. Earlier, Linda read this. He says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. And everyone who lives, like I do, like many of you do, and believes in him, shall never die. And so we're talking about the difference here between the body and the soul. We're talking about eternal life that we can have in Christ. That's true. So what do you believe? This is the question that Jesus poses right after the the words I just read. He says, Everyone who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What do we need to believe? What is it that Martha is being asked to believe? Well, she's asking, he, he's asking her to treat death seriously and also accurately. It is going to happen to you. You should not try to run from it. You should not try to work your way out of it. You should not be afraid of it. But it is going to happen to you. And yet, also treat life accurately. So, do you believe that death is the inevitable consequence for sin? You should. That's true. But do you also believe that Jesus Christ is God, the invincible one who has battled with death and won, because that's also true. And if you believe that, then you can have life everlasting with him. In Proverbs 14.12, it says this, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. So every way that we might conceive of that's right to us is going to lead to death if it's apart from Christ. That's what scripture is saying. You can choose any number of ways. They can look really good. They can look really good to lots of people. But if they are not his way, they will end in death. So what do we have to believe to be saved? 
I'm going to go through something that's going to be very familiar to lots of you, but I want to do this point by point because, like I said, we want these sermons to be accessible to people who may not know how to answer these questions for themselves. How do I, how do I address death? How do I confront death? Believe this, Scripture says. God is real. He's revealed himself in nature and in Scripture. You can look at the world and you can see that he exists. You can read the scripture and know even more about him. Believe that. Believe that Jesus is God and man, that he was man and suffered like we suffer, but he also died. And then as God, was able to raise himself from the dead. Believe that you can have eternal life with him as a free gift. Like I said, confess your sins and believe. That's all you have to do. You do not have to work your way into righteousness. He has already accomplished it for you. He's invincible. And so believe that. Death is inevitable, but Jesus Christ is invincible. Many of you have struggled with death, are struggling with death. Friends and family members who have died, chronic illnesses where you know that death is coming. Maybe it's your line of work and you see people all the time who are dying. You need to have an answer for that. This is an answer for that. But this is an answer for that. And it's not always the best answer for that. The best answer is often just living like Jesus lived with people. When Jesus lived with people, he mourned with them. It says that Jesus wept at Lazarus' dying. Remember I said, pay attention to the fact that Jesus told them the sickness he had was not the sickness that led to death, but then Lazarus died. How could that be? Well, Lazarus was not sick with sin. Lazarus already knew Jesus. So he didn't have the sickness that leads to the death of his soul. He had the everyday sickness that all of us have, which is mortal bodies that are dying. And Jesus knew that he would, he knew that he would be with Lazarus eternally. So he could say that, right? And, and still he mourned. Still he mourned with Mary and Martha. And he rejoiced. Jesus went to parties. Jesus got a bad reputation because he went to parties. I can guarantee you, right, that the bass and the glow sticks and the ecstasy were not an issue at his parties, right? But it was... Enough to give him a bad reputation. Enough for people to say, why are you hanging out with drunkards and why are you hanging out with prostitutes? That's a problem, Jesus. But he celebrated with those who were celebrating and he mourned with those who were mourning. And that also is recognition that Jesus Christ is invincible. When there is death all around, you have to treat it appropriately. You have to treat it the right way. It's happening. It's true. It's, it's death. It's serious. But it's also true that life is serious, that Jesus Christ is invincible. I'm going to read to you uh, something that I wrote about five or six years ago now. Many of you know that my, uh, my oldest daughter had cancer. She had leukemia. She was diagnosed when she was five years old, and uh, she is better today, praise the Lord. She has been healed, and it's a wonderful thing. But when she was sick and when she was in the hospital for many days at a time, it was hard to see that there was anything but death is inevitable. It was hard to see that Jesus Christ is invincible. So I want to read to you something that I wrote at that time because sometimes this is the best thing that we can do. Sometimes sharing this boldly with another person is easy. We can just do it. God gives us the opportunity and we just do that. But sometimes we just need to mourn with those who are mourning and rejoice with those who are rejoicing in truth. We've always named our children intentionally. And that isn't to say that other people just pick their uh, kids' names out of hats. But we chose names that we thought had special significance that we wanted to elevate. 
Um, Our second daughter, Zion Victoria, is named with Zion in mind. It's a place in the Bible, right? It's sometimes a mountain, a city, even heaven. And it's my wife, Michelle, and my belief that true victory is associated with that place. So we named our daughter Zion Victoria because we wanted to remember through her name the significance of that belief. And the same is true for all of our children, for Isaiah, for Ezra, for Abram, and for Moriah Emmanuel. Moriah is also a place, a mountain, a mountain that some people believe where Abram, Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac. And those who know that story will recall that Abraham takes his son Isaac to the mountain, fully intending to obey God and kill his son. And the young man is bound and the knife is raised before God rewards Abraham's faithfulness by providing a ram that can be sacrificed instead. Isaac is spared and Abraham keeps his son and everybody is happy and that's the end of the story. Kind of. Many people, uh, even Christians, point to this episode in the Bible as evidence that God isn't very nice. Christians frequently find this story difficult because the relationship it suggests with God is that he requires them to suffer just so that he can be satisfied. And then other people look at the story and they see bloodlust and malice and, and evil and they say, what kind of good God would ask anyone to kill their own son? So clearly, people have problems with this. Um, Some people even go so far as to say that Yahweh is just a man-made monster to explain evil. And it's an argument that you can understand if you are struggling with pain yourself. It's not correct, though. In the story of Mount Moriah, God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And I believe that God was doing something special on the mountain with Abraham and Isaac. At the start of it, Abraham believed that God wanted to kill his child, but when the ordeal was over, Abraham had learned that God really wanted to show his faithfulness to those who love him. And I agree with all that would seem, it seems like there ought to be a better way for God to do that, but if you believe that there is a supernatural God, then you have to also believe that he might know better than you do. So the moral of this story is that God doesn't want Isaac to die, and in fact, he doesn't want any to die, Scripture says, so much so that he ends up sending his own son, Emmanuel, God with us, to be a sacrifice for any who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. And so on our own Mount Moriah, God is with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Perhaps too big a pill to swallow for some, but for me, that's the best possible hope. And when I wrote these next words, I was sitting next to my daughter's hospital bed, uh, one of her longer stays in the hospital, pretty early on, So there was a lot of questions for us. I wrote, there are so many reasons for me to write this right now. Not the least of these is that my daughter is lying next to me with a life-threatening disease in her body. With that disease in her, I am faced with despair and deep sorrow, mostly for her. I don't want her to see pain, but that difficulty for me doesn't begin to compare with the pain and suffering that she will encounter in the coming weeks, the months, and the years. In this world, there will be trouble, and even if my Mariah had never encountered leukemia, she would have still struggled in this life. But if I don't believe that on this mountain of trial that God stands willing to save her, the best I can offer her in this darkness is a mindless escape. Yes, love for a short time, but then eventually nothingness forever. And I refuse to offer my daughter eternal nothingness. So I meditate on her name to remember that in the darkest trial, when it appears that even my child's life might be at stake, that God is with us and Emmanuel is here. And when she asks why, I will tell her the truth. I don't know. I still don't know. And she has asked, and I've told her that. I don't know why you had to suffer this way. 
But I will tell her, and I have told her, that the one who does know went through death itself for her sake, and he is invincible. He died, he lives, and I believe that she and I can live with him forever in a place where there is no sorrow and no pain and no more death forever. And that I am content to offer my little girl, Mariah Emmanuel. Sometimes we can't share the gospel like this, but sometimes we can share the gospel like this. Just tell people how you've struggled and how Jesus has saved you. Just tell them how you know death is inevitable and it's hard, but that Jesus Christ is invincible and he's good. You pray with me? God, I praise you and thank you for being good, for being the only great God, not lustful for blood and our own suffering for your satisfaction, Lord, but willing to die yourself to save us. We praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our salvation, and we praise you and thank you for doing what we could not. Help us not to fear death, Lord. Help us not to treat it too lightly either, knowing that it must come and knowing that the days are few, and help us to redeem those days, Lord, because the hours are evil. Give us the strength from your Holy Spirit that we require. I pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Before you go today, I want to talk to you about one thing that you could be doing in the next six to eight weeks to encourage the people in our community. Uh, remember I said that Jesus lived in this way, that he mourned with those who mourn and he rejoiced with those who rejoice? Well, if you know a teacher, you know that they have been mourning recently. Uh, it has been a rough year for everybody, rough two years now for everybody, but teachers have had a rough go of it especially, right? Um, you've got kids in class. No, you don't. Yes, you do, but they have to wear masks. No, they don't. Um, teach them at home, online, or don't, right? It's been very difficult. And we know that lots of you know teachers because lots of you have children who are in class. So here's what we would like to suggest to you this fall, um, is that if you know a teacher, bless them. Ask them, how can, I, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I volunteer in your class? What can I do for your class? Can I give you something? Is there something that your classroom needs or a student in your classroom needs? Bless a teacher if you know one. If you don't know one, but you still want to do this, like I don't know any teachers, I don't know anybody who works in a school, that's fine. Tell us. Um, go to graceb3.org school and we'll pair you up. We've got a couple of women who have volunteered to help organize people who don't know anybody who works in a school but still want to bless somebody. So we can make that connection for you. And then finally, um, if you go to our Focus Giving page, you can also donate to this effort. We would rather you get involved, but if you just don't really have time and still want to help, we would love to take your donation and bless teachers with it. So we want to do this. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks. Wanted to give you a heads up on this. Um, but this is a way that you can bless people, that you can mourn alongside of them, say, I know that it's hard right now, and then hopefully help them rejoice and show them that Christ is invincible in your life. Would you stand up? I'll send you out. Let me bless you. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for this day and for these people who have come to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use all of it, none of me, but all of your word, to bless these men and women and children, Lord, that they might know you better and serve you more completely and proclaim boldly, Lord, with their hearts and lives and mouths that you are invincible and that you are a good God, and that you have saved them, and that you are saving this world, Lord, that you're going to reconcile all things to yourself and make a new heaven and a new earth where we can live with you forever. Help us to believe that today, I pray in your name. Amen. Have a good week. Go in grace.